Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're talking about the startup journey, though this episode is filled with lessons for anyone starting anything, be it a company, a project, or just a fresh path in life. Creating something new, especially together with other people, requires tremendous wisdom, courage, and compassion, which are the very qualities of bootability that we access when we chant Nam Myoho Kyo on a daily basis. Today, Tushar Dedlani of Dublin, California, shares his journey of moving to Silicon Valley to start a company and exactly how tapping into his bootability helped him navigate the roller coaster. Here's Tushar. Hey, I'm Tushar Dadlani. I live in the Bay Area, uh, specifically Dublin, California. I currently am product manager and um, I'm 31 years old. So I know that you were quite young when you encountered Buddhism and back in India. So can you just tell me the story? Like, how did you get introduced and why did you decide to start chanting yourself? Yeah, so my mom's sister uh, actually was first introduced to the practice. And she was she started practicing because her husband was suffering from cancer. Uh, and around the same time, she encouraged my mom to start practicing. And it happened that my mom went to a discussion meeting and the same day my dad got a heart attack. So it was a very interesting time. We started practicing, but I, I kind of was a, I, I used to chant when things were bad, uh, not like as a 14, 15 year old around that time, uh, be it an exam, I would just be like, okay, I, want to ch- I need to chant. But I think for me, a, a key turning point was when somebody asked me to study uh this topic from this book called discussions on youth and i was asked to present a topic at a meeting and i i read like it was a one paragraph that i had to present but i ended up reading the entire book uh <laughs> and i was really seeking about what is world peace and how can i contribute to world peace because there's a lot of uh dispar- income disparity and you can just see it right on the street like growing up in india that you are living in a concrete house and then there are people who are living in temporary housing that can collapse any moment or so that that difference within like a few kilometers uh just felt a little unfair to me and that's kind of what drove me towards understanding what is world peace how can i contribute and uh daisa kwikeda's writings were moving me in that direction that hey this thing can help you uh, contribute to world peace in a meaningful way. Wow. Yeah, that's a very um, encouraging kind of opening at such a young age to also be kind of introduced to thinking about that or that it was on your mind. Um, We'll talk more about this later, but do you remember like what was the answer that you found or like even in like a sentence kind of when you say world peace, what do you mean or what stood out to you from that book? Yeah, so I think the thing that stood out to me was the fact that like, in my head, it was world peace meant starting an NGO or doing something like external. But I think what I came to realize world peace is starts with yourself and you need to be at peace with yourself. Uh, and it's and peace with yourself is not just like the calm kind of peace. It's like undergoing this 
uh, intense struggle of human revolution, essentially. So, which means uh, changing yourself to become a better version of yourself every single day. And that was pretty interesting because it was not, it was not the static definition of peace. It was more a dynamic kind of peace. Uh, so that was kind of what I felt was really encouraging that world peace doesn't have to be this big thing that you go out there and make the world a better place in a very grand way. But it all starts with yourself and your life. And it's not anything that has to be necessarily external. And being true to yourself is a great way to be at peace with yourself and teaching others to do the same is mm. like, is, I think that's kind of what I realized over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. So, so uh, today we're going to, you know, discuss a little bit about how chanting has helped you navigate your career in tech. Um, and now, you know, you're based uh, in the U.S. So maybe we can just start with that context. So like what what brought you to the U.S. and um, initially kind of what was what was your goal or dream in coming here and in, in the work that you're doing? Yeah, so it all started with I was really excited about technology as a as growing up. Uh, I spend a lot of time on the first computer I ever got, sometimes a little too much for my parents to. <laughs> and then I studied computer science in my undergrad. And during that time, what I saw, I, I used like Google when I was growing up in college. And I saw, wow, just using Google is such a powerful idea that you can be curious about anything under the sun and you have an answer, right? So that power of technology really resonated a lot with me. And that's when I was like, okay, this company started in Silicon Valley. And it was something that felt that if I want to get, like be at the heart of innovation, be around people who want to create innovation, I need to be somewhere in that area, like geographical area. So I was really chanting towards like moving to Silicon Valley as a, as a way forward. Uh, I had not decided when, where, any of that. It just was something that I, I had a thought and was chanting towards it and it ended up happening. Mm. Oh, wow. I see. And then um, when you came here, I understand also that kind of a, a significant experience was a few years after that you decided to start your own company, which is no small feat, as many entrepreneurs know. Um, so yeah, like, well, first, actually, maybe we'll start with once you came here, did you also connect to the Buddhist community and kind of what kind of shape did your practice take? And then what led to this sort of uh, decision to to go on your own and, and really start something? Yeah, so as soon as I came, I think the first week itself, I connected to my local organization and it was walking distance from where I was uh, staying at and I was really excited by that. And they were really friendly people. So I just decided, okay, I'll just connect with people around me because I didn't have any friends yet in college because it was just week one. But I was like, these people, it feels at home. You chant with them. You discuss the same things. You're talking about the same language. Everybody was speaking English. So that was not a big barrier to entry moving here. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, it's so helpful. I've also, like, everywhere I've traveled, connected to an SGI community and it's, it's great to just feel like there are, you can kind of go anywhere and find your people um, and they'll help you continue chanting when 
it's difficult to continue on your own. Um, so, okay, so you came here for college, you got connected to the Buddhist community and continued chanting. And then um, where, when and when and how did you sort of decide after school to, to start a company? So I, so being an immigrant, it's always challenging to think about starting a company because you're like, will I be able to stay here? <laughs> Is your first like question. But I was always interested in starting a company. So even when I was in college, I studied in the Bay Area itself. So I would go to hackathons. I would go to a bunch of these events where you meet other people who want to start something. So I think through that process of just meeting people who want to start something, you start building kind of a compass on what is a good idea? What is a bad idea? Is this idea worth pursuing? Is this idea not worth pursuing? And then also helping some friends who had an idea just being kind of the programmer, helping them out just out of curiosity, right? Because usually they don't have, they don't have the money to hire anybody, but they want somebody to help them. So just out of that curiosity of helping someone out, I just started trying different things, different ideas. And, but then when I graduated, I needed to find a job, right? So I got my first job. I spent about two and a half years on that job. And then a friend of mine was thinking about starting a company and was like, Hey, do you know anybody who might be interested in starting a company? And then I came back home. I thought about it and I told my friend like, Hey, what about me? Like, do you think I can, <laughs> uh, uh, like I'm curious about it. Right. So he said, okay, let's spend some time getting to know each other, understanding each other's values, because I think that's a very important part of starting something with someone else. So we had that conversation and then things clicked and within a few months we were on our way starting our own company and we got very lucky in the fact that we were able to convince investors to give us like raise our initial fund like fundraising even before we quit our jobs. So there was this high trust with the investors that we have an idea, we are going to quit our jobs, but we can't survive without paying ourselves like zero dollars because we were very like new in America. We didn't have any kind of savings to like back ourselves by. So mm -hmm. just enough like survival capital essentially uh, is what we were able to sort of get started with and get the ball rolling there. I see. Wow. And um, the company you said was in the... Um technology that powers the self-driving car space what was the actual kind of product or, or just yeah. very briefly of course yeah so the idea that we were trying to bring to market was uh we assumed that self-driving cars are making a lot of progress this is like in 2017 and there were a lot of companies investing millions of dollars or even billions of dollars in the self-driving car space and we were like okay if it works in one city what is it that we can do to help them go from one city to like hundreds of cities, like what is the technology block? So that was the idea. We, so we were building maps for self-driving cars. So they kind of need these special three-dimensional maps, which knows exactly how far are you from the curb, how far, like how wide are the lanes in different areas? Uh, where are the traffic lights? Where do you need to stop? Where is the stop sign? So it basically is since the car should not try to figure out everything in real time, you kind of have a prior understanding of what the world roughly looks like. So then it can, the car itself, while it's driving on its own, can focus on the pedestrians, the cyclists, and 
the vehicles and mm. all the dynamic elements. So we were trying to focus on building the static layer of the thing that powers uh, self-driving cars. Fascinating, huh? I see. Um, so, so just to to kind of also understand, I mean, for those who are listening who are not super familiar with the kind of grueling aspects of starting a company, I'm sure internally there was a lot that you had to challenge, right? Because you had to build trust, you had to, you know, manage the finances. On top of this, you, you know, um, were new to America relatively still. So what, like, how were you feeling through the process and, and what role did your Buddhist practice play in kind of navigating it? Yeah, I think that was... I think my Buddhist practice was really key to like have the courage to just dive right in and just trust yourself and trust, uh, like just trust the process of going through a hard thing. Uh, I think a, a big part about our Buddhist practice is to challenge ourselves on something that seems impossible and try to make the impossible possible. So this was kind of in that realm of things where it felt like, okay, everything is stacked against us. What is, like, there isn't much to lose uh, except a few like years of our lives and careers. And one thing that we were confident about or that we can find a job after if things don't go uh, the way we expect it to go, like the worst thing that can happen is we'll have to, get on the job market and find a job, right? So we always had this like this plan A, plan B, plan C kind of uh, mm -hmm. things planned out because you can't just go blindly into this. You have to be aware of what are things. I think my part of the Buddhist practice that really helped me was just like having this courage and constantly like being okay, being uncomfortable uh, because even as you like take on leadership in the organization, you become comfortable being uncomfortable by reaching out to people, just checking in with them. So I think that really, that ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable was something that I think a big part was powered by my Buddhist practice that you're always, sometimes every time you're surrounded by strangers, the first time you're at an, in a new meeting in a new area and you just greet them, you say hi to them. You're just like, there's this like amazing vibe among people. And so you're just okay being surrounded by new people all the time, right? So I think that was really hmm. what really helped me uh, work on this company and take my Buddhist practice into perspective. Yeah, that's so interesting because, um, of course, I, I mean, like one aspect of having a Buddhist community is the support for your own practice and people to chant with and study with. But there is this other aspect of like, um, you get to kind of work out the internal things like in a in a safe space because you're part of a community meeting new people it's true right like if maybe that's a little bit uncomfortable maybe being vulnerable is uncomfortable maybe sharing your goals courageously with people is uncomfortable and having to having a space in which to do that actually can accelerate the process of you being able to then do that in other parts of your life too so that's very very interesting um so so just to just to sort of recap so like I mean, first of all, you know, to to come here to pursue your dream to work in the field you want to takes courage, but then to then, you know, go on your own and decide I'm going to take this risk together with this other person um, to really try to build something, even though the whole process is probably going to be scary and uncomfortable. Um, it sounds like your Buddhist practice, like and the ability to chant and have this community helped you just take the plunge. But um, 
what were kind of the the key turning points, especially for someone who maybe has not had that experience or maybe works in a different field? Um, like, yeah, maybe the couple of hardest challenges that you had to face and how you navigated them, you know, using chanting or your practice. Yeah, I think there are a lot of things that happen, lots of ups and downs, uh, almost on a like maybe hour to hour basis at times. <laughs> uh, so I think the first sort of key moment was when we realized that we are doing something valuable and people around us wanted to talk to us, right? I think the first thing was just different companies were willing to engage and have a conversation with us. And I think part of that is also understanding where the other person is at. So whenever you're communicating as like selling something to another company, you're not trying to sell your stuff. Literally, you're trying to understand what the other person's struggling with, what is the other person's problem. And the more you do that, the more you understand like what resonates with another person, what does not resonate with another person. And then also being able to answer questions on the fly, because I think a big part about selling is the customers will ask very hard questions and you don't have to say yes to everything. You have to answer their emotional side and not necessarily the specific technical question that they might be asking. So there might be a deeper question that is, so I think that was the first key moment is just having these conversations. And when somebody said, okay, we can pay you some money to, for you to give us the service. I was like, wow, <laughs> something, something that we are doing is working. We don't know what is working. Right. And I think that those conversations made it even more exciting that if you're not just doing this as a side project for ourselves, we are actually creating value for someone else. And it's not, it's not about us. It's about them and the customers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Um, it, yeah. It's interesting because the, the sort of challenge, I mean, the challenge of creating anything, not just in business, generally in life too, is, is the ability to, um, have a have confidence in what it is that you want to create, but also the wisdom and the empathy to be able to really keep the what you described, like the value of the needs of the other person in mind without kind of going too much in one direction or the other where you're losing your own confidence or you're not paying attention because you're, you know, just want the customer, you just want the money or whatever. And that's a very like human thing. It's, you know, it's not a, it's not a business challenge. It's a human challenge in a sense. And so I'm curious, like, how did you chant about it? Like, did, was it just from day one, you were like, okay, I got this. It's going well, great. Or did you have to sort of challenge yourself internally in any way, you know, to, in order to navigate the process? Yeah, I think for me, when like what how I would chant about it is how can I resonate with the Buddha nature or the highest life condition of the other person mm. so that they are able to see that I don't have any negative intent in mm. this because in business often like when somebody is selling you something in your face it's very obvious to you you are very uncomfortable <laughs> but you want to be able to you don't want to be that person when you are selling stuff yourself. So you're just trying to understand and listen because in our mind, we always have this, okay, this is an ideal customer. This customer is not so ideal. And you're always trying to, you kind of have a, a compass in your head that, okay, I don't want to work with this customer ideally, but you have to take each customer on what they're saying, always challenging your bias about the other person. I was really chanting about not being biased as much as possible by my own 
like understanding of things and just being open to always learning the struggles of other companies and i don't want to get carried away in uh either direction right so i think there's this with this concept of eight winds which huh. takes you don't get too like if the customer is excited don't get too excited by what they are saying and if the customer is unhappy don't get too swayed away in the other direction so kind of keeping that sort of sort of centered approach and balanced approach and having confidence in what you're saying so i think a lot of my chanting was towards how can i stay balanced because it can be an emotional roller coaster right for during every stage of the process yeah absolutely yeah that's a really interesting application of the eight winds actually i i like it a lot that for context um the eight winds is a letter that was written by nichiren daishonin the founder of this form of buddhism yeah, that basically makes the point that, you know, there are favorable things that happen in life and then there are negative things that happen in life and we shouldn't be too swayed by the good or by the bad, um, but really just have like a really strong sense of self. So um, it's interesting because you're totally right. I've also experienced that like chanting helps you see things very clearly all the time. You can really trust your judgment, I think, when you're chanting. Um So, okay, so this first kind of key moment, well, actually, it sounds like a couple, right? It's you're like, on the climb or on the ascent, it sounds like, you know, so you have a partner that, you know, you want to work with, you're able to raise your first uh, round of funding, you start to see success with customers that are interested in what you want to build. Um, but I, I know that the story kind of does get complicated after that. So um, <laughs> what, yeah, what happened? Uh, I mean, I, I guess you did grow, right? Because you hired people as well. So how did that happen? And then ultimately, um, yeah, you sold the business, I understand. So if you could just walk us through kind of the rest of that journey. Yeah, so I think the second thing that happened was, uh, besides like starting the business was just before starting, we were trying to find a person with actual domain expertise because neither my other co-founder or I had the domain expertise in like robotics. So we were trying to find our third sort of co-founder in some ways. <laughs> and they were not even in America at that point in time. But through they were at school with me uh, during my master's program. So I just reached out to them. I knew they were doing something in robotics. And he he obviously, like being a domain expert, had assumptions that the problem is either already solved or it is too small a problem to be solved. And I think that journey of convincing them to actually join us as the third co-founder was, I think, a, another key moment uh, before we like sort of went in full time. So I think that being able to convince another person who's an expert in the field that what you're doing has value, I think is a very hard uh, mm -hmm. thing to do. So you have to kind of master the art of dialogue about the problem and not dismiss any opinions in any situation. So I guess going back to that, developing this ability to have really good dialogue and understand what the other person is saying and respond in a way that is understandable to the other person. So. So that was the like other key point when you get one, the third key moment when somebody joins you, they're like, oh, now we are not no longer just two people. We are like three people, right? And so on and so forth. Then you hire your first employee. You're like, oh, wow, now we are like four people, right? So you suddenly start feeling like, oh, now I'm responsible for putting food on their table, right? And that responsibility suddenly like hits you one day that you're responsible for their immigration. It's no longer about your <laughs> immigration challenges. It's about they are paying them on time, making sure they have insurance and all these other things that are important for employee like happiness and just being 
okay like giving their best to the to the job and not worrying about these different things that can come in the way of bringing their best uh but i guess like once we after about a year year and a half we reached this point where uh we saw that the business is not going in the direction we hoped it to go in and we still had a bunch of competitors who were still like they were still continuing to raise money and doing a bunch of things but what we realized was the business itself was not something that like the map making business was not something that companies would want to invest uh somebody external in because even like google for example like they are main like usp uh, is that they own the data of the maps and not necessarily what you see and what so companies are not willing to share their data as much they were like if we are anyway spending all this money we also want to own the data and we want to own everything so it was kind of everybody was building their own parts of technology but our mission was like we wanted to get self driving cars faster so we were hoping that these companies would collaborate and start sharing data more actively and so a lot of these hypotheses sort of broke mm-hmm. apart because they were investing a lot of money internally to build these to build this technology so i think at that point it was very important for us to see reality just as it is right and like chant about it and be able to like share openly with our employees that hey things are going south but we have a plan and this is why we think things are going south this is plan a this is plan b this is plan c obviously plan c was some somewhere along the lines that this will be your last paycheck you need to like find your own sort of job uh but so that was kind of it and you people who were who had just been at the company for 3 months or 6 months or just they joined the company with the hope that this is a really exciting uh idea but when we were not able to raise money for good reason right because there was no sort of uh there was no market for it so actually decided that let's try to sell the business because a big part of the whole uh like we had a lot of talent right we hired really good people and the demand for like computer vision artificial intelligence talent was is still very high and at that point it was also very high so we were trying to like leverage our experience in the self driving car industry and also f- look at other industries that were very similar in application to see if any company out there is interested in purchasing our technology or acquiring the team right so when we reached out we did get a lot of interest from a lot of big tech companies but we ended up choosing this journey where we were like we want to still continue the startup journey but not at the price that we are paying in terms of our current like income so we reached this point where we decided to join a company that had just raised a series a which would be the stage at we were we would be at if we had succeeded in raising money but we got to observe the development of a company from that series a stage to the next few stages by being on the sidelines rather than like living the day to day part of it and it happened in a very mystic way where i was sort of applying we were like in this phase where we were also applying for jobs individually mm-hmm. and one of the companies like really reached out to me they said hey we would like to interview you and i told them like hey i have a whole team with me would you be interested in like talking to the entire team and one thing led to another and then we 
like that was a good match for us and then we ended up selling to them because we were like okay there is a lot of alignment uh so that's kind of the long and short of uh going through that journey and realizing that there is no real market but i think it requires like as you i think previously mentioned is this clarity of thought on trusting yourself mm-hmm. and not following the like noise that you might hear in the market that hey like why are you selling what is the point of this and things like that so yeah yeah wow thanks for sharing yeah the the whole kind of process um it's it's both really interesting but it's also um yeah just just knowing like what it requires to be able to navigate all of those decisions um is i can i can see like how helpful chanting must have been you know first to see reality and have the courage to call it for what it is because so many founders don't want to see what's happening and don't take care of their employees for that reason, you know, as we've seen in the news many, many times. Um, and yeah, so anyway, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I am curious, you know, for you individually, because we talk on bootability so much about um, this, like ultimately bootability is this ability that we have in our life, right? Or Buddhahood, um, which is the things that you've described, like to be courageous or to exercise wisdom or to be compassionate, you know, towards other people. Um, But what sort of inner transformation do you feel like you had to go through as a business leader and as a developer on this journey yourself, you know, because I'm sure the day to day, like in retrospect, it's a it's a neat story, but I'm sure the day to day must have felt all kinds of you know, ways for you. So just curious. Yeah. I think one thing that I really struggled with, um, like as a software engineer, I would always like have this weird belief that we are doing the real work. Everybody around <laughs> us is not like doing like, like they're just talking, they're in these meetings all day and they try like hundred times and then they will close one customer. And we're like, we still write code every day. And we keep making these small minute, like progress is very visible. And in a lot of other like business functions, sometimes progress is very invisible and it's like one fine day, something magically happens and you're like, wow, that seems pretty easy because it just happens. Right. But you don't see all the effort that goes uh, behind like selling something or raising money or any of that. So I think I sort of was that arrogant sort of software engineer where I was like, Hey, this is how things should be. This is how we should run things. And in a very like uh, sort of arrogant way. And I realized that as I started interacting with other people, I'm like, everybody comes with a very different like worldview into an organization or into any kind of uh, like group setting. So I really need to respect the other person and their opinion and not just listen in like, like with my ears, but also actually take action based on what they are saying and, and see if there is truth to what what they are saying and what their experience is. So I think that was a big fundamental transformation that I had to go through that everybody, whatever they are doing is they are creating value, but as a leader, it's my responsibility to make sure everybody's aligned in the value they are creating. Otherwise, if each one is creating a different kind of value together, it does not come together. And we are all kind of like, not working in the same direction we're all working. So as a leader, just navigating that and being okay with people with different skill set levels, not having these like really high expectations of everyone that, Hey, like you're also software engineer. Why don't you write code the way I write code? Right. But they're a different person. Right. So just having those, uh, 
like key moments every time you give you give an employee a task and then they don't do it the way like that was my first time even managing people you give mm-hmm. them a task and then they don't do it the way you expect it and then you're like instead of saying that you are bad you kind of take this like full responsibility that maybe i didn't explain the task well enough let me try again the next time i give them a task i'll be more specific and then mm-hmm. see how things proceed so i think that was a big fundamental transformation for me is that to run a business successfully everybody needs to combine their powers in some ways and not be independently working on your own ideas but getting that alignment is a process it's not something that is and it's a constant process it's never you're never fully aligned you're always trying to align everybody towards the common goal and just you need to keep repeating yourself in different ways about the whole process yeah yeah absolutely that makes a lot of sense and it also like it's um it's hard to look at oneself clearly you know to even be able to acknowledge oh i'm being arrogant and i need to really take full responsibility here or i really need to listen to someone else's perspective um that is not easy for anyone to do i think to even to recognize that so um it's awesome yeah chanting is such a great way to even have like it's a safe space in a sense to begin to do that process by yourself and then the next day you wake up and you take action based on what you realized um do you have a a favorite i mean i'm sure so many but um related to this journey specifically like a favorite quote or buddhist concept that you feel like helped you navigate all of this I think this concept of like many in body and one in mind like I would I read it a lot of times and studied it many times so I think that idea of that concept of we all bring our own unique potential to the table and together we are trying to create something of greater value than the sum of our individual parts mm-hmm. I think that was a big uh part about feeling the concept of median body one in mind and even when you're dis- we are not united together we are talking over each other not communicating clearly even that was like very visible like how it impacted the team because if we are fighting amongst ourselves in front of the team it the team is also confused they are like everybody around here is confused what am i doing here it yeah. can feel that way so i think that was a big like feeling that concept i think happened a lot during uh building out the company Yeah, yeah. Um I'm wondering, you know, for the sake of people who are really new to Buddhism and have never heard that kind of phrase, many in body, one in mind. It's interesting actually based on what you said at the very beginning because in in Buddhism and especially the Buddhist community, the sort of source of that um idea is is this project of world peace. <laughs> you know, yeah. that to be united towards that. But do you mind um just kind of briefly like, briefly explaining like what many in body, one in mind means just you know in case anyone's totally new yeah so the idea of many in body one in mind is just that each one of us has a different way of looking at things based on our own karma based on our own circumstances and we are all very different right but when it comes to sort of but we can work together towards something which is sort of bigger than ourselves Mm-hmm. and that's sort of what i look at i think of as many in body one in mind it's like i might be a software engineer somebody else might be in sales somebody else might be in finance somebody else might be in hr but each one is contributing in their own unique way and bringing their sort of best to the table to create the best outcome for the organization if any one of those parts is not 
like kind of pulling their weight that reflects in your organization and in your company very rapidly and you're able to start seeing the cracks it does strike me though you know uh in case like i'm just thinking if anyone is listening whether they're starting a company and or they're leading some project or whatever it might be and they're facing exactly what you're describing like we are a team but somebody's not pulling their weight and it's affecting the rest of the team that's a really challenging situation to be in because you also can't really change other people right and so when you're responsible for the overall effort um or the you know you're it's your company or whatever your project um i'm curious like how practically speaking like how how do you challenge that using buddhism i think it starts with like having dialogue with that one specific person and not necessarily uh talking about it in a sort of public forum but also do it in a way like you don't have to bring it up in the first like the first time you just talk to them and tell them here hey, not performing well like just first talk to them understand what exactly are they going through what are the, what is their day to day look like sometimes they might be going through something personal and like how do you support them in that case right it's not always intentional but you can't uh assume that every like everybody is they're not pulling their weight because they don't want to pull their weight they might just not know right so i think it's just about being open about them and being open about it and honest about it rather than trying mm-hmm. to like not conflict confrontation is very hard as a human being and and i still sometimes struggle with it but i think it's a big part of our buddhist practices the ability to like see reality for what it is i think as and then talk to people directly about it because it's a disservice to that person that you're not being honest with them right even though you knew it for like 6 months sometimes like for years you're just like this person is not performing nobody's doing anything about it it's fine but over time that that impacts the rest of your team right like on day one it might just be that one person and other people are observing your behavior as a leader that you're not doing anything about this so then other people will also either start slacking and then you're just alone at the end of it it, it kind of can feel like eventually you're not making progress and you yourself hit a glass ceiling sort of in your career where you're mm-hmm. not growing because you didn't confront this thing that you knew about or you felt about but you didn't have the emotional capacity or didn't consult with anybody how do i bring it up and seek from other people how can i share this so i think that's a very important uh, point mm-hmm. is to address it when you notice it the first time otherwise it just grows in complexity to address it. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's so funny. So as you've been talking, I've been writing down like takeaways and I'm realizing this is so interesting and I love how practical it is because um I think it there is applicability outside of starting a company but like to really lead something and build something that is going to create value for people however long it's around. So far, if I can recap, it sounds like These are the things that one would need: the ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable with unknowns, um, the ability to be open-minded, the ability to dialogue well in order to create consensus and also like convince people <laughs> to join, um, the spirit to take responsibility for others, especially if they're people that you've hired um, or people that you're serving, the ability to see reality clearly. um the courage to take action uh the ability to 
be transparent if it's not going well um, out of a sense of responsibility, the ability to listen. Um, and then, yeah, the spirit to act quickly if something isn't working. So actually, that's really hard. <laughs> like That's a really long list of really hard things. But uh, it's also so practical. And it sounds like, um, you know, like having a practice that allows you to tap into these things has allowed you to call forth these qualities. But I'm I'm wondering, like, um, if there was any, I mean, I'm sure there must have been so many, but like, was there a, a turning point ever where you felt like, I need to be able to be this kind of person, but I, it's not happening, or like, I don't know how to do this, you know, that you feel like this is a moment where all I can really do is rely on my Buddhist practice to transform the situation or pull something out of my life? I think the biggest, like, I think the turning point came to me, um, once when somebody like told me you're being arrogant about something, right? And it was very hard for me to like accept that I was being arrogant about something. And it took me a long time to realize what they meant. And I think that I realized that arrogance came from a place of fear where I was afraid. You can't be someone who is not authentic to yourself. And I know like other like founders who kind of go through this process, they are, they don't like sell because they truly believe in what they are thinking and doing. And I find that like that level of courage is a like different level of courage to like actually continue on when things are getting really like bad, because I think, so for me, I think being that understanding that I like to start a business, but the type of business I start might not be something that means as much to me, right? Like the self-driving car space for mm -hmm. me over time, I've kind of not been as passionate about it as I was like when I started. So I feel for me, the big reveal or big moment was I will try things that I want to try, but through that process, I might realize, realize it's not my authentic self to do this specific kind of thing. But what I take away from every single situation is this idea that I created value for the people I was working with, the people I was, and that is my, like, I guess, bigger takeaway than mm. the business itself or the financial value itself or any of that, that happens as a side effect. It is uh, the ability to help other people who grew in their career much faster than they would have had they joined like a bigger company or mm. the ability to get somebody who's not in the country. And now they are in the country with like full legally immigrated when they had like completely had no idea that that will happen to them in their life. So I think these kind of things you start seeing when you genuinely care about other people, mm. you might not have created the business value that you went out to create, but your authentic self of helping other people comes out in the value that it creates for other people through the process. Yeah, yeah, which goes back to this human revolution or inner transformation of the individual to see, for me, how do I create value in this situation? Um, I, you know, I, I was gonna ask my closing question, but if you don't mind my asking, I'm just curious, like, just to go back to what you shared in the very beginning, like, that discrepancy between rich and poor that you saw growing up in India that like sparked these original questions and the reading that you did about what peace means. Now that you've had these like years of experience personally using your Buddhist practice, how do you think about that 
now because we, we are living at a time where peace is something very, it feels very like um, out of grasp for literal reasons, but, you know, for, I think some sort of uh, philosophical and personal and, you know, uh, metaphorical reasons as well. So I'm just curious how you've sort of reconciled that like original feeling that you felt. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I think for me, I think it has come down to, as I was sharing previously is just giving other people like hope and courage that, Hey, you are capable. You have discovered, you don't need to, you don't need to pretend to be something that you're not to mm-hmm. succeed in society, like live out your true identity and face whatever comes by living out your true identity. Don't try to like hide from that, like authentic self or your own, like Buddha ability in some ways, uh, like live true to it. And that and just teach others to do the same like the rich and the poor is just a like your external circumstances what is truly uh like true peace is found in your own heart which is something that i think through through chanting you're really able to dig very deep into and be like hey this is who i am and this is how this is why somebody is is rich this is why somebody is poor being rich doesn't mean you're better being poor doesn't mean you're worse are you able to create value for someone else and not at the cost of yourself i think that's the other part where it sometimes like you can do it at your at the cost of your own like self but how do you kind of find this i guess i i've learned a lot about the middle way right i think buddhism is about the middle way mm-hmm. it's it's not like between one and two, it's like one and a half. The middle way is a lot more about being able to understand the gray area really well and be able to take action while not being fully like sure about what this action will result in and just focusing on the causes rather than focusing on what are the effects that I will get like you have to kind of get out of your head and get onto the street in some ways right uh, yeah. and take action for your own like life so I think that's something that I personally if you're able to do that and you're able to teach others to do that then your community and your environment is way more peaceful than whatever is manifesting on the outside as rich and poor or yeah like, yeah absolutely I love that way of thinking about it it's so um easy to look at things on the macro level like and just not know where to start and feel overwhelmed. But yeah, Buddhism definitely teaches there is always action. You can take exactly where you are and not to worry too much, but just to do your best and bring out your best. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I feel like you've also already sort of answered this, but I will ask the the question I always close with. Um, so if you could give one piece of advice to anyone listening who might be new to Buddhism, um, and maybe has a similar experience to yours, um, or just you know similar curiosities to yours. What one piece of advice would you give them? I would say just like take action, like set a goal and take action towards it, and the and try to take action right now or like in the same day towards it. Don't overthink it. Like a lot of life's learnings come from taking action and not only by reading books or get like, so you have to get out of your mind and Mm -hmm. over time you like realize that 
everything is interconnected everything is about human life but you can't understand that till you actually take action Tashar's advice reminded me of these words from Daisaku Ikeda, which is from the same book that he mentioned he read at the very beginning of his practice. Ikeda writes, The important thing is to take that first step. Bravely overcoming one small fear gives you the courage to take on the next one. Make goals, whether they are big or small, and work toward realizing them. An earnest, dedicated spirit shines like a diamond and moves people's hearts. If we are sincere, people will understand our intentions and our positive qualities will radiate. The German poet Johann Wolfgang von Goethe writes, How may one get to know oneself? Never by contemplation, only indeed by action. Seek to do your duty and you will know at once how it is with you. On that note, we'll continue to explore career stories on future episodes of the podcast. In the meantime, a friendly reminder that if you have questions or would like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Music